my friends, and welcome to episode five of Armor Party. I am your host, Mike Forster, and I can't wait to get into this episode because, ah, we've got our first ever guest on who's worked on Star Wars properties, and you get to hear me geek out over it for the next hour and a half. A few things to note. I respect working professionals. This is their career. This is their job. There are consequences, and I respect NDAs, aka professional, can't talk about it, or I get fired orders. So we couldn't go into the nitty gritty too much, but Drew was so cool about letting us peek behind the curtain. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening, liking, sharing. We can't wait to build with you all soon. Let's start the show. From the hills of Hollywood comes our next guest who might be our most decorated yet. With an impressive rap sheet from WandaVision all the way to Snoop D-O-double-G, he still finds time to be a Star Wars costuming club member and is our first guest to actually have worked on a Star Wars production. His fitting Instagram handle is Drew the Costumer, but today we're buttoning up with Drew Hart. Drew, welcome to the Armor Party. Oh, Mike, it's so good to be here, man. I'm I'm happy. I'm a listener of the show. <laughs> well, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm such a fan of your work, and I love... Anyone who does a craft that I know nothing about and sewing and <laughs> costuming and that level of cloth. And, and that is, I think when I really started to appreciate costumes on a technical level, I want to say was maybe Sam Raimi's Spider-Man understanding how they got the webbing on the kit and all that. And I remember from there looking at every other science fiction you know, costume on screen and saying, how the heck did they do that? So I love anyone who has your level of talent and I'm so happy to have you on the show. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Like I said, and definitely on that Sam Raimi Spider-Man, that was, that's one of my earliest memories of really kind of acknowledging a costume was seeing the Spider-Man costume, of course, and the right. Green Goblin just being like, what, how, uh, what, what store did they get that from? What? Like, you know, mind you, I, I was pretty young, but sure. I was just blown away. And so, I don't know, baffled by it. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and is, it isn't until very recently that I was like, I think I have a full understanding of this. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to get into it. Well, Drew, I think for everyone who's who's tuned into this podcast understands at this point that, you know, we are a, we're a Star Wars podcast and we are we are really about diving into all different aspects of it. So before we get started into the nitty gritty of like your career and some of the projects that you've worked on, what is your Star Wars story? Like what is your, you know, growing up with it? I think you and I are both in between 30s and 40s. We've probably got a lot of resurgence at the same time. What's your Star Wars story? Well, I, I hate to pour water on your on your fire, but I'm actually 26. Oh um, no! <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, so we're done here. We got turn it turn it in. <laughs> we're done here. <laughs> and for our next guest, <laughs> <laughs> someone older. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So my Star Wars story, I I actually have no recollection of not 
knowing Star Wars and like not loving Star Wars. It's kind of weird where I've been asked similar questions like, how did you get into Star Wars? I have no right. clue. I have absolutely no idea. I like my mom has stories of me being like four, five, six and talking about, you know, Y wings and B wings and her being like, what is a B wing and how do you know that? <laughs> and I have no idea. Um, I can't remember, but, um, yeah, I just loved it, loved it, loved it. I loved the prequels as they were coming out. Um, and growing up, you know, the, the, the original trilogy was always, you know, had my heart. Um, but I was always torn playing as a kid, like, oh, am I Luke Skywalker or am I Boba Fett? Because, like, Boba Fett's so much cooler, but Luke Skywalker's the good guy with a lightsaber, but Boba Fett's so much cooler. <laughs> so I think I think for a lot of people, too, because you're you're at my my brother is a little bit younger than you but only by a couple of years and it's interesting to see where people kind of gravitated towards star wars and what star wars they gravitated towards so there were you know there were some purists that were old enough to remember the prequels and not see them through the eyes of a kid anymore but you're you're young enough to kind of experience star wars in the way it was intended to be and through the eyes For of sure. someone who can suspend disbelief, right? Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think being younger, I, I was kind of, I, I had those built-in rose-colored glasses that yes. let me be like, yeah, you know, Hayden Christensen, he's very believable. <laughs> <laughs> he's very charming. And when he started, when he killed all the younglings, I said, you know what? I can understand why he did that. Um, so Drew, let me let me also ask you this. And, and just to just to get it out there, you're you're a five hundred first member as well. Uh, and, I am. and what what kits what kits do you have for the five hundred first? I actually uh, I, I I think I only have my Bo- my Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett. Um, I have I built that costume in 2013, and it's just been a revolving door of parts and revisions and reworking, and so it's actually my only completed costume i have you know a few others that are like 90 i literally have a finished tobias beckett in my closet that like heaven forbid i just have to actually put on and take five pictures in right (laughs) approval photos just to be like am i good am i good here yeah and i i've had it for years just haven't done it we have a couple of people who are i'm sure are interested in getting into costuming yeah, and you know the 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 clubs and and all that. I know it can be overwhelming, but it always cracks me up. My joke with everyone is that when I always ask people, yeah, well, you know, when you join the club, you got to pick a costume that you want to wear, and my heart breaks for people when they say, "Well, I, I've always liked Boba Fett," and I go, "Oh, oh no." Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. That's right, exactly. <laughs> the, the, one of the most complicated paint jobs, the, the you know, the most detailed-oriented costume, I think, possibly across the entire Legion, and and one of the most expensive. So what was it about that character that you kind of gravitated towards? Uh, for me, it was always just, like, the mystery and the allure of him, where he's just like, yeah, hey, hi, I'm here. And, you know, like, he just, he's got a job. The dude, like, he comes in to, uh, you know, he comes in to Cloud City, and he just, like, straight up dunks on Han Solo. Right. Like, he's like, <laughs> right. yep, I caught you. You're now Carbonite. Let's go. Bye, Luke. 
So I think a lot of people also don't realize that there are actually three different versions of Boba Fett. Um, you have your Empire Strikes Back, which actually had a little bit more of a blue tone. Then you have mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi, which had a gray tone. And then we had this special edition where they kind of rejudged his whole paint job on the Ugh. on the on the kid. Um, yeah. And what, and what you know? What is your take <laughs> on on looking at those nuances? I'm sure someone like you you identify those immediately. And you know what was it about Empire that really did it for you? Um, I liked Empire because it was the first. It was. It was the. It's not the first time we saw Boba Fett, and it's not the first time that we that he had a costume. But it's the first time he had a costume on screen. And so yeah. for me, like that's the original look. Uh, you know, it's just so clean. It's so cool. The paint looks like it was really done with a lot of love and expertise and time. And reading up on old stories, that's exactly what happened where, you know, they were just like, here, go nuts. And the dude did. And then, like, going over to Return of the Jedi, it felt a little clunkier right. and a little less refined. And so, for me, I wanted the the definition and the love of the Empire Strikes Back suit. That's that's I lo- I just love hearing people's stories about you know when their costuming clubs and how they pick out a costume. So I your your and your boba looks incredible. I have thank you thank you. I I I, I love that costume so much. I'm I'm almost done with my din jarn build, but like the boba is the white whale for me. Uh, I think with everybody who's gotten in a costume because it's got all the things you have to master yeah. all the things. <laughs> yeah yeah it is. It's just so many parts and it's so many things. And so to, to really pull it off, you have to either have all that money or have all the things. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, you yeah that's absolutely correct. And I hope people remember this. When they're listening to Armor Party, they're going to go, okay, I, I remember Boba Fett is a no-go unless I'm either rich or I want to commission someone or I want to lose my mind for five years of my life as I figure out this costume. So yep, that's, there you that, go. I picked the last one. Yeah. That's it. Yes, 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 yes. You're my kind, yeah. you're my kind of people, Drew. You're my kind of people. Yeah. So, so Drew, let me, let me hear a little bit about, you know, your story, um, you know, the, the, your work. And I mentioned it a little bit in the intro, but you have worked on some really big productions. Um, and so how was, how did you get into costuming? What was your, what was kind of your intro to the whole thing and realizing I can make these things for myself that I can wear and eventually end up on, you know, and cinema. Um, well, I, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a long story. I'll kind of skip around. Um, but it first happened. I was 16. The year is our Lord 2010. And I was at a, I went to a zoomies at a mall. If everyone remembers zoomies, of course, um, I ran into what is now my best friend in the whole wide world, Jonah Warford. And he was, we were talking and I was like, I love Star Wars. I have a big Star Wars toy collection. And he was like, (laughs) that's really cool. I'm working on a custom Mandalorian costume. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. And so we, he started talking about it. We went down this rabbit hole. We hung out until 4 a.m., looking at pictures of Mando Mercs, just like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do that. And my love for costuming started on that day. Like, it was really tangible. Like, I wasn't a theater kid. I wasn't talented in any sort of, you know, artistic sense or driven in any sort of that way. But, um, you know, just being like, oh, my God, there's a club for this? That is so cool. And so I joined up uh, as soon as I could. Like, the day I turned 18... I 
I I put in my application for the club, you know, because I've been working on a costume. Right, and right, so, right. Yeah, um, that was that was kind of my start of my hobbyist years, and um, and so you know, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. You know, I sure. always had like real real people jobs. You know, <laughs> I worked in security. I was going to college for criminal justice, um, and I uh, and then I I left that and I started being a banker. I was a banker for like two years at a credit union. And I was really a man good of at many too, talents. This is this is awesome. Yeah. I'm, learn, I'm, I'm like I'm like you 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 know wanted to be a cop and then eventually wanted oh now we're now we're in the financial system. I'm like Drew, what what can't yeah. you do at this point? Yeah, I mean, and so like throughout this whole time, I'm like, I, you know, I was I was very passionately costuming, you know, like on the club level and on the cosplay level and on going to conventions and whatnot, um, and. I was like, oh, yeah, but, like, you know, I have to have a, a big boy job, too. You know, I have to sell out to the man. Right. <laughs> and uh, then it's something happened where me and uh, my current girlfriend at the time, you know, she was like, oh, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. We had to move, like, an hour and a half away. Uh, she was getting a job that paid awesome. And I was like, hey, I think I'm going to try my hand at costuming. And Ooh. she was like. Okay, sure. Go ahead. And so I got a job in the only professional theater in New Hampshire, which is where I'm from. Live and for your die. So, live for your die, baby. <laughs> I'm I'm a but, former yeah. I'm a former Vermonter of about two three years, I think. Nice. Nice. So I, I would I would visit your state quite often and I always thought that was just an excellent state motto. It's I have it's, to say that. I I, I think, listen, I've been to a lot of states. I've read a lot of mottos. I think it's the best. Yes. Uh, let's I might, say it here. I, <laughs> I'll take that stand. I'll die on that hill. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I actually got my start in theater. And so I did that for a few years. Um, and then uh, then I left that. And I was like, okay, I, I'm struggling to eat and pay rent at the same time. True. I need a big boy job. And so I went, I worked at a pharmacy for three months and then I realized I kind of, uh, this is going to take a dark turn, but I was like, I don't really want to do this. Like, I don't want to live this way. Yeah. And I don't really, it was hard to describe, but I was like, I'm done. I don't want to do this. I'm not doing this. I'm not, no more big boy jobs. Okay. And I quit that job. No backup. Um, I had just started dating my current girlfriend. And I was like, hey, I uh, think I'm going to quit my job and uh, pursue art with zero leads. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, do it. Yeah. And she was super Fact. supportive. Yep. And I mean, here we are six years later or five years later or whatever. And um, it's been going great. It was just one freelance gig to the next, to the next, to the next. So do you work for a specific company or you're just a freelancer uh so for the last two years i have worked for a specific company i actually before that i was freelance um and i do still take work as a freelance agent like on the side as for side gigs but yeah i do have a quote-unquote nine to five um for a specific company uh ironhead studio uh out here in la Oh, very cool. Okay, uh, it's uh, who who runs that? That's uh, Jose Fernandez. Oh, my yes, boss. yes, yes, right, right, right. Okay, so yep. Ironhead Studios. For those who are wondering, 
why I'm gushing over this is because they most notably have been working on the latest DC characters, right? That's yeah, that's Batman kind of versus thing. Superman. Yes, uh, for sure. Yes, yeah. And and I remember seeing the fact that Batman could turn his head and still <laughs> and still yeah. be in the cowl, and it didn't you know bow out. And the fact that you know obviously that was the first time seeing. Ben Affleck as Batman, who I think is just I, I, Amazing. I love I love him as Batman. Um and and I've loved Ironhead's work for so long. Um and and just the dedication as as fans. And I could just imagine that, you know, and they and of course relating it to Star Wars, they were the ones who did the Night Owls. They were the ones who did Bo Katan, and that's eventually, I'm sure, where all roads lead to Star Wars eventually once you get popular enough, and especially with we're we're in such a resurgence and such a renaissance for Star Wars right now. So, Drew, tell me a little bit. Are you a are you a multifaceted prop maker or are you pretty much just fabrics and costumes and sewables? Um, I'm actually so on a on a personal level, I'm actually very multifaceted. I'm really <laughs> I am really good at so many things. Um <laughs> But no, go off, like King. I, just yeah, go get it, yeah. go get it. I'm amazing. I'm better than you. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I am. I do know my way around a lot of tools because uh, for a, a long time I was doing everything on my own for my own stuff right. and for you know sure. my clients and whatnot. But yeah, no, I'm good at 3D printing. Um, uh, 3D printing, armor making, painting uh, is a is a newfound passion of mine. Sure. Um, that said, fabrics and leather work is my okay. jam. That is excellent. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I bring home the bacon. Is my there leather we go. work and stuff. There, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> bacon, leather work. I get it. Uh, it's a, that was a, oh, a yeah. timely pun. I love it. Um, is there <laughs> is there like you know so specifically um, so the for, so Ironhead working on 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 Bo-Katan, the Night Owls, Costco Reeves, Axe Woves. Um, is there something that, that your team specific, I mean, maybe this is segmenting into the, the next question that I, I want to ask, because I'm so interested in learning about this because I've been in the creative industry my whole life. And there's obviously the structures of director. And then, you know, we have, you know, chief mark, you know, chief director or chief operator or stuff like that. So I'm very curious as to how, the hierarchy works among agencies or among uh, you would call them shops like like prop shops and stuff like that so where does that how does that process work that you were commissioned that ironhead is commissioned to you you get you get a a star wars project and we know that shauna turpic is the costume designer and so where does where does her idea start where does the showrunner have an idea dave filoni and john favreau obviously are Mm -hmm. insanely Mm -hmm. passionate versus some directors aren't all invested like they are yeah so they are unusually hands-on um so it's it's a little different for every show and okay. you know keep in mind it I, I could be a little off here um, okay sure because it, it it is different on every movie um but from my perspective kind of what it was like was um for so i ironhead and other shops like it like legacy or you know other things uh where it's called specialty shops and so we are able to do the things that like a normal stitcher can't do or somebody like me working out of their house can't build. And so we build the extraordinary. Um, and so 
for this, uh, for the Mandalorian, they, they contact several different specialty shops and say, hey, can you build this character? Hey, can you build these characters? Hey, can you build this character? And um, for us, uh, Shauna came to us and, and had said, can you build these? These are going to be hard because we don't have any. We had the armor, but there weren't any other female Mandalorians. You know, we didn't know what that was supposed to look like. And these are some of the first characters to get, you know, brought in from, you know, Clone Wars to realistic versions. Um, and so, uh, you know, for that process, you know, they go to several different shops. Um, and usually, you know, uh, the director, showrunners, producers, in this case, Favreau and Filoni, uh, you know, a- approve, you know, which shop gets what and who, you know, where things go to. Um, and actually, just to correct something you said a little while ago, we actually did not do Axe Woves. Uh, oh. We did Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves. Axe was done over at Legacy. Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah. is there – I am so happy to be corrected by this because – Yeah. Says, so then Ironhead does the female Mandalorians and, and Legacy does Axe's – kit which is kind of an evolution i'm assuming then at that point they probably did the death watch throwbacks then of the flashbacks yeah and it makes sense because then we have you know because you can see a couple reused pieces where you've got in the coven there was you know you could see the kind of traditional chest plate and all that kind of stuff exactly and axe kind of has like a updated you know re obviously a hero version of that um yeah but it was so so what was that so shauna comes to you guys and says okay we have our first ever live uh, live action female Mandalorian, which we have to obviously compensate for female character, female frame. Um, and, and not in, of course, Mercedes is like the fittest person, the most acrobatic person <laughs> in her, her day job. Right. Um, yeah. And so w- what was that? What, what, where does Shauna say we're looking for something like this, or is that come even higher from her to say, this is the idea that we have. How does that come to life? So it usually, you know, they have a concept artist, you know, who's, who does not work for us, uh, you know, kind of draw up some artwork. Um, and, you know, they, they get to a point with the artwork that they're happy with. And sure. then, you know, and this is for all projects, not even just that one. And they come sure. to us and say, can you make this? You know, because usually we riff a little bit, you know, we change things up. You know, the, the profile is usually the same, but the... Uh, the details are what, you know, get the most modified. And sure. so, you know, they, you know, they, they would come to us and say, Hey, we want to do, you know, let's say Costa Reeves, you know, yeah. um, you know, she does have a lot of movement and she is very capable. We're going to be doing some stunts. And so we, you know, they say keywords and they click into our heads stunts. Okay. We're going to need some stretch in this. How are we sure. going to incorporate stretch? Here's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Sure. And so it's just, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I guess I guess that's it. No, that's that's great. Uh, I, I you yeah. know I, what I think is so interesting, and and I think as and because you know I'm I'm obviously I'm watching Bad Batch right now like everybody, and I'm constantly blown away at how great this show looks in terms of the depth because animation has come so far, and it's also so. It, oh, it is, and and it's also supported right now too. Whereas when Clone Wars started in the early two thousands. Um, or I'm sorry, the early 2010s, it was like 
George Lucas was doing what George Lucas does. Like, we're going to throw some money at it. And you can see we paid for rendering time <laughs> wherever we could fit it. But, you know, you look at even shows like Rebels um, that were, you know, Lothal and uh, they're, they're not busy. They're not they're not crazy busy like a Coruscant would picture because that costs money. It costs money yeah. to, to to render all of that. It costs money to take time and and you do textures and have multi different artists working on that stuff. So I love that we're at this transition where Star Wars is a property that's being heavily invested in from from Disney and that we're able to see these stories really come to life for what I would consider to probably be your most of your audience in terms of. I, I, and I don't know if you're the same way, but a lot of people watch The Mandalorian in mm-hmm. my circle of friends that didn't watch, they've, they would never watch a animated show because it's for kids, which I always <laughs> crack up about. Uh, but, you yeah. know, I don't know if your friends are kind of the same way of, of your non-Star Wars friends, if they're kind of getting into uh, the great storytelling. Uh, a lot of people are. Um, a lot of people are getting into it. A lot of my friends are super into it. That said, I'm not that into it. Fun fact. <laughs> oh. The, 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 the Star Wars animation um, has something I just cannot get into. I don't know what it is, but I'm – because I, I think the problem is I always start at like Clone Wars Season 1. And they're like, hey, kids, we're going to go on goofy adventures and yeah. talk about budgets. And I'm right. like, oh. <laughs> and so – I, I think I've suffered from that, and I always talk about like maybe I should just start it at like season three, because I hear like you know season three to five it gets crazy, and then there's been like two more seasons or something, and of, of course now we're on Bad Batch, aka season eight, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, well, um, from from a, a, a you know inspiration standpoint too. I mean, what, yeah. what and a, another question I want to ask you is, you know, where does when someone comes at you, so I think one of the concept artists, I'm sure that seems to be working a lot on Mandalorian is, is it Brian Matias? Matias? Yes. Yeah. Brian Matias. Yeah. Matias. Okay. So Brian Matias, who is the concept designer, he could come up with something absolutely incredible and very detailed. And there's a rhyme and a reason for why you would add certain colors and patches and pieces that make sense for the character. How much different is it from a sketch or from a rendering and and how when you guys get it and say well we can't actually do it this way is the how, how much does it change from a production rendering to the actual what we see on screen in terms of being able to actually physically produce something like that so the cool thing about star wars is that star wars is so almost like grounded in reality you know right and this it's, it's kind of weird to explain but like the costumes in star wars are all like on people yeah (laughs) they're all like real things and so you know the craziest thing that he could draw it you know it it couldn't like it's not something we couldn't do could not sure um it because it's so grounded in reality um it might change a little bit as far as proportionally you know up or down you know if we say oh if she bends she's not going to be able to bend because of this or that or right. this comes too wide, and so she can't close her arms. If we shrink it down ten percent uh, on, on on that axis, you know, she'll be so much better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it it it, we, it does change definitely, you know, and it's but it's usually in the finer details, uh, sure, and in the fit and the finishing. Where and uh, then it really changes. 
Well, and, and a question I've got to ask then is so, because I find it fascinating, of course, that yeah, that that your studio does the female characters and then another studio does the uh, acts, the, the male character. But, but the first time we saw them was the most incredible thing for fans of the Clone Wars. When all of <laughs> yeah. a sudden you're like, oh no, Din is going to get eaten by the Mama Corps. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hello, do you remember me? And I think I was screaming at this point at 5 a.m. when I wake up to watch it, spoiler free on the East Coast. Um, but but seeing, you know, seeing like, do you share resources with other studios to say, hey, we're going to be using this blue and we want them to feel like they're similar because they all came from the same group or or what is that? You know, or is that is that a different set of decision making that gets agreed upon before it gets farmed out to the studios? Because they look like they're. They, they were made in the same studio. I think that was probably the point. Mm-hmm. Um, it usually, it's not usually studio to studio. Uh, usually it's, there's a go, a go between. Uh, okay. So, you know, it's, it's usually not, you know, it wouldn't be the designer, but sure. you know, we, we would send, you know, we might send references to, uh, you know, a supervisor or something. And Got it. then they go, Hey, what do you think of this blue? And they go, well, it's way too light or something. Sure. Um, sure. But there's not a lot of that. Uh, okay. Should be told. It makes sense. It, um, make, it makes sense. I think, I think people yeah. also have to remember too, that, you know, it's, it, it is a competitive marketplace. It is. You know, yeah. And, 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 and people are, I'm sure they're cordial with each other, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we're all competing to get jobs and, and pay our employees and, and maintain the, you know, the hierarchy and upward momentum that employees I'm sure want to see as they get their careers started or maintain their careers. So that makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. I, I, I just think it's fascinating, of course, that, you know, your your costuming clubs are so they want to look unified. They want to share resources. They want to say, I found I'm, I'm over here. I'm at the graffiti store buying 19 different colors of blue from Montana. And, you know, here I'm going to, sp- <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm going to sp- I'm going to spray them on a piece of plywood, you know, at 12 <laughs> noon so we can see what the colors look like. Um, and, I, and I just feel like it's such a cool way to share resources. But but obviously, on the professional standard it's like well you know we're there it's not it's not one big happy family not because of you course guys yeah aren't cordial but you're professionals but also it's it's an industry it's just like everywhere else so that, that exactly makes a ton yeah of sense. yeah yeah so you know we keep it tight we keep it in-house you know um yeah but um i mean but on on a personal level and on you know like you know my club levels uh you know i'm very very open i always have been um sure. i publish all of my research um you know for boba colors and stuff i'm always kind of mixing that and saying yeah. you know i think this is a great mix and i think this is really solid and i never claim to be you know like a mastermind or you know the best in the world with it right. but I'm like this is this makes me happy and i have very high standards <laughs> sure sure well when it's and it's funny it's funny for the costuming clubs too because you know the rogue one i was i was you know i have a short trooper in my garage and i'm building this and and you're finding these differences of like the and i've mentioned this a couple of times on the show but when the productions were overseas yeah the the you know the United Kingdom tr- shore troopers of course the UKG one of the most you know well renowned garrisons in the five hundred first is like mm-hmm. well you know the the blue on the bicep is you know Halford's blue <laughs> and then you know it's Toyota Super Red thirty five and we can't get that stuff in the states and it, you you would have thought that the people who are building these costumes were like I cannot wear this unless it's 
that official super red. I cannot wear this. And I'm sitting here going, most people probably can't even remember the movie that they saw you in. But we're we're on that level. You know what I mean, Drew? We're on that level. We're on that nerdy level. So I always, it cracks me (laughs) up to hear people who actually do this for a living. Do you you ever find, are, are are you ever humored at how close people get or how far people are away from actually knowing trade secrets is it is it is it funny yeah, yeah. seeing it from that from that aspect wicked so i love i'm actually i'm a part of several of like the Bo-Katan Night Owl build groups on Facebook. Yeah, okay, awesome. Uh, I love it. I'm just scrolling around. I'm like, oh yeah, look at this. Look at this costume. Look at that costume. And I look at and a lot of these people are really really awesome and they're really yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it is. I do really enjoy watching it. Um, partially because it's really a dream come true, you know, um, to be able to work on something in, from Star Wars and then to have people love it and to have people want to recreate it. It's right. just amazing because, like, I've always been that nerd. I'm the one yeah. who's, like, remaking this stuff. And then to be able to contribute all of that and to give people something to love in a universe that I'm so passionate about right. um, was really amazing. And yeah. it will I, – I don't think I'll ever really stop feeling good about that. I think that's something that I, I feel like, you know, in myself and I make some Star Wars stuff on the side and – there's a part of me that thinks once you have contributed to the Star Wars universe in an official stance, and whatever that might be, and if mm-hmm. I get there one day, cool. If I don't, I'm just as happy acting like I'm part of it or or connecting with other fellow fans or nerds about it. But I see it as that is the ultimate form of praise, where someone connects so deeply with either decisions that you made or, you know, a character or the way they were portrayed or something. I feel like that is just the coolest thing to say, even if, you know, I leave this industry in a couple of years, I can say I was a part of the biggest fandom on earth. And that's exactly it is that like I was there. I directly contributed to that. There were decisions that I made that changed the outcome of Star Wars or not like, you know, the outcome, the outcome, but like the, the way it looked for sure, you know? Sure. I was able and to alter things. And especially cool. a character like Bo-Katan is like, she is going to be a huge part of the way that start, especially the upcoming seasons go. And I'm, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to get anybody in hot water, but we just know the natural arc of their story is, you know, yeah. she was like, I've got the, I had the darks. I need the dark saber. And Din picks it up and he's like this thing. She's like, Oh no. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're dead now. <laughs> yeah, I have to I have yeah. to kill you. I just was getting along. Yep. I actually saved you once and now I have to kill you. Uh, but I, I I love that. And I think, you know, so and in let me just get your your take on it too, because something that you yeah. said earlier, Drew, was, was super cool. Um, you know, a thing that I cracked up about, Mark Hamill, not I, I want to say maybe last year at some point, he goes, Oh yeah, uh th- they're they were Levi's. You want to know what I was wearing in Tunisia? They were oh, white Levi's yeah. that we bleached, right? <laughs> yeah. And 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 the the Luke fanboys or costumers that had swore they were custom made in trousers, <laughs> which they were eventually later. But knowing the infamous story of Star Wars and George Lucas being cheap and just saying like, who cares? Um, yep. The fact that you know when Mark said that, it just cracked me up because costuming communities around there. Couldn't believe that it was like I could have bought that off the shelf. I could have, yep. I could have just bought that, you know. And I, I, it cracks me up to know that 
Star Wars, especially <laughs> the origins of it, were so based in like found everything had a 70s found parts aesthetic and what is your take on on just nailing a star wars aesthetic like what is that how do you what do you dive into what do you connect with well i love found parts i love them i love them i love them um unfortunately i'm still very low on the totem pole if it was up to me i would use so many more found parts (laughs) but but you know with with you know, where I'm at right now, I can't do a lot of that. Sure. Um, but I think found parts are the magic of Star Wars. I think that's why certain movies click with us and people more or less, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, to bad talk, you know, the, the sequel trilogy. Sure, sure. But so much of the costuming and the details is almost forgettable. Um, you know, yeah. in a way where it's it's really easy to gloss over it and just be like, yep, 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 yep. Um, there's not a lot of visual intrigue. And adding more of that stuff onto backpacks and belts and stuff, that's what kind of makes Rogue One so much more interesting to look at. Right. You know, and found parts are my jam. That is my thing. You know, whenever I get a chance to use a found part, I will always use it. Well, some someone I remember someone who actually does like really high end leather work was kind of breaking down like what the heck parts were on Han Solo's belt. Because as a kid, mm. you're like, oh, I bet you if he plugs that little canister into his to the <laughs> yeah. DL44, I bet it shoots a flame like in the video game. You know what I mean? Because your head is yeah. just like nothing. Nothing is a bad idea when you're a kid, you know, of course, um, of course. Yeah. So I always thought it was like, yeah, those the Greeblies and all that stuff that that made, you know, and then especially like, you know, better than anybody, but like the little the comb and the parts on frickin Boba's gauntlet, like, Uh, where the heck? What is that stuff? Yeah, I mean, that stuff is so cool. Because looking at Boba Fett, it's so evident. Oh, also, so on Boba Fett, they only built one Boba Fett, like for Empire Strikes Back, they were like, yeah, let's build one. So they didn't have to worry about uh, duplicates, which is something that we really run into nowadays because nowadays when we build a costume we're building several of them you know there are several copies made and so you have to think you know if you find something at a garage sale and you go wow this is a really cool part i want to use this on something can i get five more and a lot of the times for at least you know the, the the vintage star wars crap we're always looking for the answer is no you might be able to find one and then the next one is going to be infinitely more expensive, probably. Right. And yes. So, yes. Going going yeah. to the going to the junkyard or the the garage sale and saying, "Oh, you have one Graflex. Yes. How many other vintage uh, parts <laughs> do you have here?" And they'd be like, "Are you one of them Star Wars people? What the heck?" Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then they chase you off with a broom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's um. So for found parts, we really can't get away with it now. Um, and which isn't to say we cannot and that we will not and that we have not, but it's, it's, it's a lot harder. I I think one of the, at one of the points, and I believe it was either on the death watch boot or something, or I want to say that there was a part, it had to be a UK part. And I think one of my last guests, Luke Daly had figured it out, but it was a, a plumbing part that, that was on, I think it was on like Baz's ankle boot it was supposed to be basically like a secondary charge you could pull out and i think they also ended up on like the death watch boot or something like that and i remember 
people, someone, I mean, it cracked me up because I think Luke had identified it was like a plumbing part that had kind of a cool closure on there. And they, you know, he buffed it up and, and chromed it and made it look like it was like a cartridge. And then I remember a couple of people in the group are like, send me 50 of them, like send them from overseas. Cause you know, I can't get the plumbing part here. Um, and I'm just, I'm laughing that like, you know, even, and I, when I do that, I go and I look around and I find like, you know, and that's why I think, um, for people who are wondering what the hell we're talking about, um, you know, your, your greebles and all the parts that are almost designed not to be necessarily focused on, but they add to texture of something, or they add to a little bit of story or a little bit of just give us a little bit of a look or kind of create a little bit of intrigue. Um, some of the stuff like the scout troopers aerator is an engine block from yeah. a model, a model car. Right. And so they would go and buy a bunch of model parts and they would part them out tank parts and they would stick them on places and make it seem like, you know, that's a suction filter in case they get stuck on a plant, you know? And I, I yeah. love that that was part of the original aesthetic and that we're still chasing that, you know, f- almost 50 years later. Right. It's nice. It's, it's really, really good. And, um, I think the Mandalorian has done a fantastic job with kind of reintroducing the found parts and reintroducing the bits and the bobs and those those greebles, you know, right. um, you know, if you look at Din's gauntlets, every detail does something. They're yeah. all there for a reason. There's a purpose. You know, he's got the cartridges on this. He's got the yeah. cartridges, you know, on his boot that he interacts with. You know, right. on his uh, Mimbom rifle. Yep. Yeah. The Amban. Oh, sorry. What is it? The Amban? Amban? The, 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 the Amban <laughs> pulse rifle. You're th- you might be pl- thinking of the planet Mimban from Solo. That's exactly Solo. it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Don't worry, Drew. I'm here to help. Hashtag fake nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call. People are going to be like, dude, I can't listen to that anymore. These guys are yeah. playing. Um, yeah, this dude's a but, poser. <laughs> well, well and what's, what's funny about seeing that, and especially in the reintroduction of Boba Fett, um, into, into season two, it's like, you know, we had always wondered and, and what I think is great about you identifying with him as a character and the, and that mystery that kind of shrouded, you know, and, and I'm sure knowing Dave Filoni will probably get this backstory very soon, but it was like, you know, who shot Boba Fett in the head that yeah. caused that dent? And then who shot him in the crotch? There's another dent right in the crotch. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, I feel bad for the person who missed that shot and was like, oh, no, I'm definitely dead now. I, I'm so dead. Um, yep. But seeing, well, seeing all of those parts and wondering, like, what do all those pieces do? And then when we see him in the Robert Rodriguez episode, he used them all. It was awesome. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was amazing. I was, I watching that episode, I was seven all over again. Yes. Um that was amazing. That's some of the best. I'm getting chills talking about that episode. That yes, was so cool. Yes, yes. Yeah. I was just going to say, and seeing him fire the jetpack rocket was just like, oh, magic. Love it. Right. And <laughs> and and then and then we got to see the, you know, the need arts actually fire too. I couldn't believe that. I would have never bet my life I was going to see a knee dart fire. <laughs> and it did. And, and 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 I think it's and it's I think really and we have to obviously of course give the, the such praise to John Favreau and Dave Filoni for being such super fans about the details because I think for and especially for someone like John Favreau who's like he has nothing to prove in his career and the oh, fact absolutely. that this is, is such a passion project for him to find someone like Dave Filoni 
and both of them have the same level of detail um, in terms of what they want to flesh out themselves because it was stuff that originally inquired to say like what does that do what does that part exactly, do yeah. you know because what they were that? curious yeah they were curious and so I, how do you see boba at this point you know how, how you know in the the story i and, and of course like there's a part of me that wants to see you know some of the original you know many pouches flight suit again and and we and we might in the book of boba fett and i and i don't even want to ask you about that but but more so <laughs> you know i it's like seeing what is it like for someone like you who built a original empire strikes back costume what was it like for you to see that that character come on screen but also as a professional costumer like what was that like for you that was amazing that was so cool um I, I was a little split, uh, I got to tell you, actually, because I, as a as a new seven-year-old child watching Boba Fett <laughs> kick ass, sure. you know, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing, whoa, mind blown. And then yeah. as a professional costumer, I went, they really couldn't have made that vest fit him. <laughs> and, right. yeah, that, that just, like, I was like, God, they did my boy so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and even even going back and seeing Cobb Vanth in it, I was like, yo, what? Also, they couldn't have made that fit him better. Like, you know, I, I wanted so much more fit and finish on that for sure. And I feel like that was part of I feel like at least that was part of Cobb's story was that, you know, Timothy Olfen's like, you know, six three and pretty skinny. And I think yeah. it was like you know, because I think uh, you know, the original Boba who is, I don't think was Jeremy Bullock or was it an empire? It was Jeremy Bullock. It it was, there was like five dudes who wore an empire. I've always kind of yeah. gotten it confused because like John Morton wore it for like, cause Boba Fett only has like four or five scenes really. And, Probably a grand total and, of what? Maybe, maybe 45 seconds of screen time in all. Yes. Yeah, seriously it is. Right. Um, and yeah, John Morton was like eight of them. And then Jeremy Bullock was in some of them. And then some of them, Jeremy Bullock is playing an officer in that episode. And I'm like, dude, why can't right. we just keep Jeremy Bullock in this damn costume? <laughs> uh, and, and those guys were, uh, were, were tall and skinny. Not quite as tall as Timothy Oliphant, but they were like right at that, like, I think, 5'11 range, give or take. I want to say that maybe even in Empire, someone had compared the size of Vader when Vader walks out of the spoiled dinner party and <laughs> Lando is there and he kind of looks over at Boba Fett like is is Vader really doing this like is he double crossing everybody and Vader almost can look down on Boba and it made me think that like Boba at the t like maybe he was only 5'8 or 5'9 or something like that he was he was maybe a little bit more pocket sized than it seems like everybody in Star Wars is you know eight feet tall um, yeah. <laughs> but it, but but you know I think like seeing that and I think Tamura is about uh, I think he's probably I think he's like 5'8 around there um, and and yeah. so I think that whole point of it was looking at the difference of saying, okay, clearly Cobb Vanth, you know, found this armor. It's not supposed to fit him well. But then I cracked up in seeing, you know, that the armor also, I think the vest died from that kind of light tan to black when Boba, when Boba put it on <laughs> in that episode. I was like, oh, okay, we got a spray booth. We got some dye in the back. Yeah. Like, oh, we're, yeah. Boba Fresh, right? Boba Fresh. Exactly. I like that people are calling that Boba Fresh. I think that's really cute. <laughs> um, I, cause I think it's so perfect. And, you know, uh, 
for years people have been like, oh, what if what if Boba Fett's armor was clean? And um, and you know the Mandalorian there were like Boba Fresh. <laughs> <laughs> they did it. <laughs> they did it. Well, and I think for some people it's like you know they're they're looking at it from a standpoint of of saying. Well, what would you do if you found a bike at a garage sale that meant so much to you? And people do this every day. You restore it. If that was your dad's armor that got you had a hell of a backstory with that armor, wouldn't you at the first opportunity, wouldn't you be like, I got to get this thing back to where it was, man. They're doing like, it's all bad. You know, it's like finding a, you know, Schwinn stinger yeah. at a garage sale that's been <laughs> rusted out. And you're like, no, nah, man, I got to clean this thing up and give it a candy red paint job. You know, it's like, it makes a little bit of sense in my head canon. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I, maybe I'm, most people would do that. I am definitely okay with that. Um, where, you know, like, cause obviously, you know, I, I am a bit of a purist when it comes to my Boba Fett. I sure, like that, of course, em- of course. that empire Boba Fett is the gold standard for me. Yeah. But again, in, in my head canon and yours, it makes sense to me that he would want to clean that up. I mean, it's been through so right. much like, eh, yeah, right. you know what, maybe we just tidy it up a little bit. Right. And so I was, I was really fine with that. You know, I, you know, as a diehard fan, I was like, that is acceptable. that works and it it makes sense let me let me also ask you drew kind of getting back into a little bit of the technical stuff of it like what what trends are you seeing and i know that superhero costumes have kind of gone a, a a very almost like a very technical like there's a lot of really hidden details and i know that there's a combination of like dye sublimation for people who are wondering what that is is essentially a you know fabric can go through a version of an inkjet printer basically and that can give you you know you can add shadows and textures and all that kind of stuff printed on there but now we're kind of at a we're also at over the past probably decade we've been doing different kinds of layering and and uh plastics and rubbers and silicones and i think especially for ironhead studios um the 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 doing like you said the batman versus superman where Superman's armor is anything but just a spandex Christopher Reeves kit. It is like looks like it's freaking armor, right? And so what mm-hmm. what trends are you seeing in costuming right now that are of interest to you but also how do they relate to Star Wars being kind of set in this lo-fi universe? Um well, it's 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 really cool. We um so we do do a lot of Oh, I'm drawing a blank. It's I think it's silk screening or it's something where where you put the the rubber on the spandex and that's what we do for okay. a lot of superheroes. Okay. Um, and that's so super cool. And we didn't do it at all for <laughs> for Star Wars because it's you know Star Wars is so lo-fi and yeah. Star Wars doesn't get any of that. Um, right. In 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 all the best way because I don't want. Truthfully, I don't want any of that in my Star Wars. My Star Wars yeah. has none of that. Um, right. And so very fortunately, you know, um, the creative powers that be said, yeah, we don't want that either. And so we get a little bit of that on Cara Dune, but that wasn't – obviously that wasn't us or me. Um, but yeah, so we don't see a lot of that. Um, a lot of things we do see though uh, as far as, you know, what we're using is that um, urethane armor, like – rubber armor is so mm. that's so in <laughs> like din's armor and you know the death watch armor and this and the armor and that armor 
and everything is your thing. It's um, so in that process for what yeah. people are what people are wondering and and we have uh, and I I I absolutely want to talk with you about details of this, Drew. But there the original stormtrooper armor was made from at the time it was called hips, which stands for high impact polystyrene, I believe. Uh, it does. Yeah. It was, and yeah, and then it goes later would become popularized as ABS, which was a little bit, you know, they're still both terrible for the environment, but one was <laughs> at least just a little bit more available and a little bit better. Um, but, but they are, it was quite literally hard plastic that up on that was, you know, very like that chick, chick, chick of them running around was literally that plastic just bouncing against each other. Right. And that process for people who are wondering was done through what's called vacuum forming, where you have a mold, the plastic gets heated up, it gets sucked down on the table and it gave you basically a negative of whatever you had laid down on the table. And that's how they did the original armors um, versus Vader was fiberglass and was actually sculpted and all that kind of stuff. But what I think what what Drew is ref what you're referencing, Drew, is things became flexible in Rogue One when we started really seeing acrobatics and we started seeing stormtroopers get blown back and like doing backflips when grenades would go off and all that kind of stuff. And you could see that the armor didn't crack because <laughs> it would have if it was ABS. And that's why I think in the original trilogy we only saw correct me if I'm wrong, the biggest aerobatic that happened from a stormtrooper was when the Millennium Falcon is trying to leave docking Bay 94 and there's a sand trooper that does a barrel roll and it's really far away, but he does a barrel. He doesn't have a pack on. And that's why the 501st is like, well, technically sand troopers don't all need to have packs because that guy did a front flip. And I'm Look sure he cracked it. Yeah, right. I'm sure he <laughs> yeah. cracked his armor, but it was far away enough that they didn't really worry about it. And also Tunisia at that point was the, the storm. The sand troopers were a disaster. Um, but but you're saying you know, that it's it's everything is flexible now, but it can be painted to look metal it can be painted and, and is yeah is that pro is that process done through that's thermo molding or what is that process of how you achieve a urethane mold like that oh, i actually believe it or not i actually don't know <laughs> oh um, yes that yes. is it's it, it's i i would love to be like oh that's movie magic but it's just so far from my department <laughs> that's okay yeah, uh yeah I, okay. I just I just I like I, I get the sausage. I don't see how the sausage is made. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. So I think I think because there's a couple of people in the prop community that are starting to make them, and it's actually quite similar to your traditional. Uh, you know, we see them a lot with like resin casting, and you pour it into a mold. You've got the negative, and I'm sure it's probably not that far off from it. Um, I'm sure it's not. In, I, it's probably in that same realm. And the pieces and the pieces are are light though. That's I think the biggest part is that it's not true rubber where rubber is like really heavy. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it would be uncomfortable to wear a whole armor kit of straight rubber like would have been probably in the Michael Keaton Batman, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, no, this stuff is all, you know, lightweight. And it's funny, you were just mentioning the the click clack of stormtroopers running. Yeah. That's that's actually something that people acknowledge. Like that is the sound of costumes. Right. You know, now it's like, how quiet can we make a costume? And that sure. answer is never silent. You can't make a silent costume, but you can get so close. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so that's one of the caveats of our costumes is how quiet can this be? And and does that how much does that matter when they're on set in terms of, you know, we have, you know, Foley, we have all this other stuff that's added to it. But, you know, it's like how and 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 I guess, too, uh, it's a matter of also durability, I can imagine for the I mean, you're looking at behind the scenes photos of Brendan Wayne wearing the Mandalorian or you're looking at Latif and Latif has to be doing like, okay, you have to get blown up uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. by this, you know, what, by whatever, or let's say you have to get, you know, Brendan has to get basically drowned in a mud pit by a mud horn. Um, and that stuff just fall, it just gets beat up. It's just the usage just gets beat up. Yeah. 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 But I mean, that's, we make duplicates, baby. Um, you know, if, you know, for that scene, for the mud horn scene, I'm yeah. sure they had five costumes on set. You know, yeah. they, they I'm sure they had five just ready to go that they were like, these are the stunt costumes. We're going to blow through them. He's getting new armor the next episode. Bells had started to come <laughs> off. And there was a, a fairly intricate, like, Velcro patterning for how that attached there. And it cracked me up that people in the prop community were like, Whoa, and they're going into Photoshop and light it up so you could try to see the stitching and stuff like that. And they're like, I wonder what the backstory is behind that. And I'm like, you want to know the backstory? <laughs> the, the customers just try to keep the freaking shoulders on while this guy was wrestling this giant thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's it. There yeah. is no there is no Mandalorian coven back. You know, they were back stitching it to try to make, you know, yeah. the armor <laughs> pleased with them. I'm like, no, that's just Drew trying to get the stay yeah. to make the freaking arm, the armor stay on. Dude, that's literally what I do. Like, one of my things is that, like, I do armor mounting. And so, like, that's literally my job is putting that Velcro <laughs> on and being like, yeah, this probably won't go anywhere. Hope he doesn't wrestle a mud horn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, episode, yeah, here we go. Episode two. Uh, I know we said it probably won't happen, but we're totally going to do that. Um, Ex- I, I, that's, I love dude, that. That's always, that's my life is like, no, it's not going to need that. Okay, it's going to need that. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, you can just assume that every costume you make is going to be absolutely manhandled and wrestled and, you know, just destroyed and chewed back up again. And then you'll find a whole community of neurotic people wondering what decisions you made and why you did them. And you're like, I'm just trying to keep this stuff on. It's actually it's 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 funny because that's totally I'm, I'm going through that because there was so for like mounting like Bo's armor, you know, yeah. I. I don't even remember how I did it. Truthfully, it was, there was Velcro involved. I remember that. Yeah. Um, but there was like a behind the scenes photo of like Katie Sackhoff, like hanging out without her breastplate on. And people were like, "Whoa, pinch zoom. What is that? It looks shiny. Why would that be shiny? And I was like, Oh, why, why is that shiny? That's weird. (laughs) Like there's no reason. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's just, how do we keep this on? Because I, I do, I, I engineer everything so that, like, I'm I'm assuming the worst every time. Yeah. And different, too, something that I've always appreciated in the costuming world where we have that's different than on screen. And you know this better than most people who are in the costuming community. But it's like, you know, yeah, there is a difference between what's called a hero and stunt armor. And... Mm-hmm. 
you know, the hero is okay. We're going to, this is a well-lit shot there. You're supposed, your visual is actually supposed to soak up details and stuff like that. So we spend a little bit more time on these versus the stunt stuff could either be a background or it could be an action scene where things are fast moving or something Mm -hmm. where you're not really designed to see details. And that part of it is always where people who got into costuming would build a stormtrooper armor and they'd go, uh, this isn't comfortable. And you go, <laughs> well, during the entire hour and a half runtime of Star Wars, uh, I hate to break it to you, but those people just took the armor off and they actually sat down. They didn't yep. wear it the whole time. So it's like <laughs> cameras are rolling, put the uncomfortable armor on, and then you stand there. But like convention people and costumers who are in the 501st and the costume clubs, they have to make it. They have to stand in armor for hours at a time or through an entire convention. So in ways, the costuming clubs have kind of figured out a lot of how to actually make this feasible armor, how to make it functional, how to make it wearable. It's always very impressive. Um, I I, I do like seeing people being like, and by making this slight modification, this is 10 times more comfortable. And I'm (laughs) I'm just, I'm there like, this is amazing. Good job. I was just going to say, I definitely suffer from the exact opposite where I'm like, sure, that would be more comfortable. But Boba Fett's thong was a lot tighter. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, Tighten dude, that thing I, up. I crank it, dude. You can see how thick I am when I wear Boba Fett. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, I'm definitely a accuracy over comfort in my, in my, in my personal range. Sure, sure. And that makes sense. And I think there are plenty of people, you know, and Luke and I had talked about that, that, uh, you know, the, 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 the swinging pendulum that can go between saying, you know, am I bringing more joy to people by acting as a, you know, character from a, a film or a movie that they love, or am I impressing other costumers by showing my level of detail? And there are people who can do both. And there are people who are one or the other, or there mm-hmm. are people who just say, whatever works for me, works for me. And I always, I always crack up about that because as a level two scout, I'm only, I think I'm, I was the first level two scout in Michigan. Um, when I tell people, they're like, hey, your your scout looks really good. I'm like, yeah, it's a level two. And they're like, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the conversation kind of ends there. And so I kind of like stopped caring about that. But, you know, really what they see is, oh, you're the guy with the speeder bike. Oh, that's cool, man. And they don't care that I've got the, you know, authentic zip ties. Of uh, course. my shoulder belt. You know, they don't, no one cares about that. So it's really cool to see how, especially now in, you know, 4K and all that, we're able to see these details versus the stuff in the original trilogy that we're still kind of uncovering and, and updating our CRLs for. And I always... That always cracks me up how to how we see that. Um, uh, is, is there a specific tool, Drew, or something that like you know for people who are going? I want to get into leather work. I want to get into fabrics. I, am, am I correct in assuming that you probably did the harnessing and the in the holsters for for Costco and and uh, the bow? Yeah. Yes. Yes. You are correct in assuming that I sweet I, I did that. It wasn't alone. You know, like I had. Sure. You know, I I had help, and sure. you know, I'm. I'm one of many at, you know, at, at the studio. Um, but yeah, that is, that was my bread and butter. That's my jam. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Cause I'm going to buy, I'm going to, I got to buy that black series of, of it's, it's one of my favorite looks. 
Um, <laughs> and I, and I think it, I think it absolutely rules. And so like for inspiration, you know, and especially matching that we, we have, you know, if we look at the lineage of, you know, would be Mandalorian belts, like we have the original scuba belt that Boba had wore. And yeah. then we later would kind of see it reimagined a little bit in a slightly different way, but obviously still enough that most people would assume it's the same in Django, of course, in, you know, attack the clones. And then how much of that did you, did you look at for reference to say, well, if Mandalorians are just into certain stitching and, and leathers and stuff, do you, did you look as a customer yourself? Do you, did you look at that and draw inspiration from that? Because it all fits. It fits. Um, <laughs> truth be told, no, <laughs> uh, not new. really. It's new Believe character. it or not. I, I'm not saying like, it's totally, Oh yeah, this is totally all original, you know, thoughts, but it right. was, you know, Oh, you know, we, we're definitely going to use leather. You know, we're definitely going to have top stitching, you know, um, let's go nuts. And sure. You know, there's also, you know, a certain extent, you know, like if you look at, you know, cause, uh, for, for like their blasters, you know, we have to build a holster around that. Um, and you know, you have a little, you know, freedom there to do stuff and we did stuff, but, um, yeah, no, it wasn't, I don't want to say there was like no consideration to, Boba and Django because you know of course you know we did you know you know there's a girth belt present and you know there's that stuff you can see it but um it wasn't a lot like it was less than you'd think (laughs) sure sure and that's okay I think because we also have to note too that there has to be progress in costuming as well especially in Star Wars because we are in exactly we are in uncharted territory in terms of going you know we we saw um, I think probably the stuff that really made people start to twist their gears was in Rogue One. We saw Saw Gerrera's kind of rebel squad, and they had a black scout trooper. And it was like, whoa. And then we had, you know, uh, Idrio two tubes. And, and then we kind of started to see some of these old parts that had, you know, old Imperial remnant parts that had kind of been turned. But most notably, I think it's really cool about the work that you guys did on on the on the holsters in that you know what's interesting is if you look at the clone you know and there are some people who build Bo-Katan or they they build night owls based on the animated show and a lot of that stuff is so polygonal and it's really like kind of chunky right yeah and then to see the the new versions of you know even Django's blasters were kind of like Almost, uh, almost like organic fifties. Yeah, they yeah. were like nineteen fifties kind of sci-fi. They were really they kind were. of funny looking. Um, and then you know the the production designers for Mando have gone in that original, you know, gone into the you know the World War II you know British closet and actually took real guns and retrofitted them to make them look like they were you know they're they're space blasters now. So I love that. That the origin that that we've gone back to that, but also that you were able to fit something that felt like for fans of Clone Wars felt like a natural progression of, of course, this is what these characters would look like if they were real. And I thought that yeah. was awesome. You guys nailed that. Yeah, that was definitely the goal. And um, I do. I, I think we did a really, really good job. Um, I'm very proud of that work. Um, and I was really I was really nervous going into it because I was like, oh, my God, there's so much pressure and if we don't get this right, like people are just going to like hate this. And it, um, yeah, just, I'm so proud of the work we did. Well, kudos to you and your team. (laughs) Uh, You can clearly see once the Facebook build group gets made, then, you know, we've done something right. You know, we made it Um, baby. 
<laughs> we made, we're on Facebook. We got people asking us about Montana Sky Blue or Freedom Blue or whatever. We're good. Yeah. Um, which which cracks me up. Is there is there Drew specifically for a setup? Um, because I know that we we do have some people that are very detail oriented and they want to to dive a little bit into this. What machines? Is there something? Are there tools that you can't live without? If for someone who's like, man, I'm I'm really and you know my my last guest. Uh, Robin, uh, who goes by Vault Fox, she kind of does all of it. Um, and and what machine specifically are you using that someone, a consumer, would be able to get that would say, "Hey, this is a great start to leather work," or "This is a great start to sewing." Anything you can give in terms of stuff that you use for, yeah, you know, your hobby stuff. Absolutely. Um, I think so. I for years I sewed on a Singer forty four eleven, which is a heavy duty machine. It's I think it's like 115 bucks ballpark. Um, and that machine is just, it's such a little power horse. It's so awesome. It's really great. I have it sitting on the table right next to me. Um, and that's a cool machine in uh, of itself. However, if you swap the foot for a walking foot, for a walking foot on this machine, probably Amazon, probably 15 bucks, um, you unlock a world of possibilities in leatherworking. Huh. Um, that machine can do so much more than you would think it's able to. Um, it's no longer what I use. Now I have a big, a big, bad industrial sewing machine uh, that's sure. sitting at right now. Um, and but you know, that's you know, the difference is like eight hundred dollars between the two. So right. I say for anyone right. looking to get into leather work, check out the Singer 4411. It has my it has my recommendations whenever somebody's like i want to get into sewing how do i do that i'm like buy this <laughs> there we go that's it all right um, well hey you you heard it from yep. the, you heard it from the man himself is there a is there a a tool or any other specific products like like i would say probably for armor building the dremel yeah. changed my life i don't know how i would do anything without a dremel oh, for, for sure. is there for you you know is anything costuming that you can think of that you're like oh my gosh get this oh man it's it's so hard i'm i'm such like not like a tool fanatic but i i do like i'm like i need this for one thing and i'll buy it for example i I'm have the same se- way i have several different high-end dress forms just for like sizes of like celebrities i've had to like body match before um let's see give me give me one second are you do you, drew do you airbrush too i do i do airbrush quite a bit so what's your what's your airbrush uh what's your airbrush setup oh that's a great question so i have an iwata eclipse that i use all the time it's the um oh what's the cup on top is that that's not siphon feed that's a gravity fed it's a gravity Gravity fed fed. siphon is the one that goes under and has the tube that sucks up yeah yeah so actually i have i have the siphon fed which i use for painting like bigger things like big surfaces Um, and then I have my Eclipse for painting like medium to, you know, medium to small. And then I have a, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher this HPCS, which is like okay. a micro precision one. And sure, I, use, sure. I use that for my, my really high end, uh, high end stuff. That's, that's um, probably Bova stencils at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. That's like, I am trying to get the shading just right around the dent. Like that's that one. I can assure you, Drew, whatever you're doing to get those details, people like me notice. So you just keep on building up that armor 
building up those that armory of of airbrush guns that's what we need i I fully i fully support this um so that that's great and i love learning just kind of the the tips and tricks from people who i respect that do it um and i and and of course like i think really what it comes down especially with din's armor you're really kind of seeing the people who have made the investment um some of the best people who i mean and i i absolutely love Jackson Rupert's paint work. I love, uh, you know, Tim Harrison, uh, oh, Harrison so concept and designs. And, but if you look at what they've done, they've, you know, and Tim is a prop maker himself too, like professionally, I think he works in a lot of, uh, like local work in Chicago, but, but, you know, he, I mean, he invested in building a like full HVAC system that can do, you know, full on auto, auto paint shop jobs, it's amazing. Um, require, yeah, yeah to, yeah. to do the the proper 2K sealer and then to do the Aluma luster on there. It's like he made a significant investment. I'm talking thousands of dollars to do it safely, and you can see the results of it. And so, you know, I think that's something that it's it's easy to remind us ourselves as hobbyists that, like, you know what? The the Aluma luster finish that you got that you you know you probably spent a ton of money getting the paint because the paint is yeah. incredible. Oh it's my expensive. god, so expensive. It's prof- yeah, but it's professional paint, so it's like you have to say, of course, you know, it, it, and you know, for those guys, you know, for uh, um, Imperial Surface who makes that stuff, it's like you know, give them some respect. This is professional grade stuff. You can't expect to go into Michaels and go, yeah, you know, can I get it with a forty percent off coupon? It's like, well, no, this is. <laughs> You know, Dude, this is, I wish. You know, <laughs> I know. Same, same, same. But I think we have to, you know, you got to respect the tools of the trade too. And it's like, we would assume that if anyone was to do a gloss paint job on a hot rod that they expect to drive to car shows across the country. Yeah. No, it's not a freaking, you know, it's not Rust-Oleum's $4 can of red spray paint. This is like, <laughs> no. this is a, yeah, it's a real thing. So I think it's, it's helpful to remind people that, you know, that, that people like you are also hobbyists and that you're also constantly learning too and that there are sometimes the tools do matter but it's okay to admit that the tools sometimes that matter are just they're freaking expensive because that's you're in the big leagues they're they're so expensive and it's it's important to acknowledge the step up because like i didn't just wake up with a bunch of expensive airbrushes and like an industrial right. sewing machine you know it was right. i used right. i used the hundred dollar sewing machine for years and then I said, yeah. okay, I feel like I'm about maxed out on my skill level on this machine. I obviously love sewing and there's a machine for sale that I want to buy. And so I actually, I bought my industrial sewing machine off of the production of Little Women in 2019. Oh, look at you. Yeah. 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 I didn't, I, I didn't put that in the opening, but I can redo that opening yeah. if you want, Drew. I can definitely oh. add, you know, no, Snoop no, no. Dogg. <laughs> and we can just say little women too, you know, they're both on the level, you know, that's what I'm saying. Um, Drew, something else I want to ask you too, before we, you know, before we kind of, uh, kind of wrap up here, um, yeah, you know, I just have to acknowledge, of course, too, that you're, you're very open about, um, uh, on social media and just about the, the concept of burnout and working on high level projects and working in an industry that is kind of notoriously known for long hours and very short turnaround and I, what I want to ask you is for someone who's listening to this podcast that doesn't really understand or might be interested in getting into this, this industry. And I know that it's mm-hmm. a dream for everybody who goes, I, you know, like, it, and, and some of them do actually end up going to work in the industry. And I think it's hilarious that at this point for, 
you know, for shows like The Mandalorian, we're actually using fan sculpts of the original armor that we're using those in the show. Like it cracks me up that that the scouts it's, were it, wearing Walt's Walt's Trooper Factory armor. I'm like they they bought it's them. It's kind of meta, you know? <laughs> it's so meta. It's absolutely yeah. meta that they're that it's like, well, the fan groups have already made the best looking armor. We don't even need to go to the archives yeah. and try to make our own. Just buy it from those guys for 300 bucks and you're good. Exactly. It's easier to give Walt $300 than it is for us to pay a sculptor thousands of dollars to make the bucks for us to pay a vac former thousands of, you know, it's reinventing the wheel when they're already doing it. And it looks amazing. And and I think that's cracking me up. But, but to my original point, I think what, what a lot of, what a lot of hobbyists don't understand is that, you know, it's very easy to sit there and deconstruct um, Bo-Katan's helmet and look at the colors and and say, okay, you know, it's going to take me two weeks to, you know, paint your helmet if you're a commissioner, yeah. right? And I'm going, I don't think that you guys oftentimes sometimes would be lucky to get two weeks on certain turnarounds. And and what is, what are, in in kind of getting to my point of saying the burnout part of it what did you find was the biggest difference in doing it as a hobbyist versus doing it as a professional? We all know con crunch and we know the idea that, Oh, I've got a convention coming up. I got to finish my armor, but you guys are in this for real and you're working on multiple projects and we're doing everything has to look freaking incredible. So I mean, what, what did you see was the biggest difference in going from a hobbyist into the professional world in terms of production, meeting deadlines. Like, yeah. What was that like? Uh, well, so it's, 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 it's very hot, you know, and, and certain, certain air, certain shops will be different, you know, of course. But um, what's nice is that when you're trying to build a costume for, you know, your convention, you have to, you know, let's say the convention is two weeks away. Oh my God, I have to finish this. I have to, you know, I have to take in this fabric. I have to cut that armor. I have to paint this armor. I have to, trim my helmet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have to do a bunch of different things on a bunch of different fronts. Whereas right. working at a studio, like I might have a tall order of like, you know, Drew, we have to get these four belts constructed, like pouches, you know, leather stitching, everything. And, you know, we also have to do the rest of the costume, but you only have to do this portion. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I always describe it as being a cog in a machine where I, sure. I'm a cog. I do this portion of this. And somebody else does this portion and somebody else does that portion. And so it's nice to be able, it's very kind of creatively rewarding to just be able to work on one portion. Right. And one section or segment. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it it depends on the costume. You know, there are costumes that like, I call them Drew Hart specials where it's just like, it's all me. It's not all me, yeah. but it's, it's a lot of me. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so in the weeds. I'm just drowning on this project. And I do, right. I end up working a lot of nights. Um, I, I work a lot of weekends too. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been kind of a go getter. And so when they're like, we got to get this due date, I'm like, no problem, man. <laughs> right. And, and then By any always, means necessary. By any means necessary, at the sacrifice of my health, I am in. I love capitalism, yada, yada, yada. Yes, yes, Which, yes, yes. And and then I'm halfway through and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just what is dragging. Your, 
what is what is your you know I, the hard part about what hobbyists turn professional yes ends up being is that because okay so like my main day job is a visual graphic designer right and so my freelance also allows me to make money that way too and mm-hmm. then it also happens to be and I'm sure you're probably similar to me uh, I like designing like I like designing Star Wars stuff and so I've taken the thing that makes me money and pays my bills I then use it to pay for fun stuff but then I also exactly. use it yeah. as therapy in designing fun stuff but it's all sometimes you feel like I'm then sitting at this freaking computer screen for 17 hours and like now all of a sudden you know costuming I think has been really therapeutic for me because I've gotten off the screen and I've gotten to use my hands again um but how do you how do you balance that that line between saying I I'm a hobbyist I have fun building costumes mm-hmm. But it's also my job, and some days I don't want. I don't want to build a costume, <laughs> man. I want to. I want to go do anything else. You know, yeah. like how do you? Um, how do you balance that? Yeah, not well. <laughs> um, I, That's I, the answer I expected, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, not well. Um, that said, like I do, I do love building costumes, and I do still build costumes for me. But I find I'm willing to put less and less time aside for for me because I, I get into this rut where, you know, I have my nine to five and then, you know, some TV show will be like, Hey Drew, can you make this belt for us for this TV show for this silly amount of money? And I go, yeah, I can lose a lot of sleep for that much money. And, (laughs) and so then I'll, I'll, I'll run myself ragged for several days to make sure this gets done. Um, and then I need like a week of recovery and I'm, I'm actually, I'm coming right. off of that right now where I just finished this really big project for a, a New York fashion week show. And okay. I am just beat, man. Like I finished it yesterday and I'm like, Oh, I am going to bed at like nine and I'm going to yes. sleep until 11 and then I'm going to wake up like gonna an pl- adult. I'm going to play video games. Yeah. Yeah. It totally. Is that your, is that your like off? time like video games is that you're like down that's my like let me tune out for a second what is your hobby outside of costuming usually it's it's video games um i do i play a lot of star wars battlefront and tom clancy's the division 2 i'm super into okay okay yeah yeah Yeah, i'm costumes in that one too oh they're great oh and you know what actually sorry my all-time favorite like blow off steam game red dead redemption 2 Oh yeah! How so could we good. forget? Oh yeah! No, you, I'm on my horse. I'm riding through Lemoyne. I find some KKK guys, and dude, I am whipping Molotov cocktails. It's a great yes, time. Yes. It's so much fun. It's, it, I take it in terms of relating it to Star Wars. It's basically the Cad Bane emulator. Oh, totally, absolutely. Right? You're I like just you're not a good guy. <laughs> Right, you're just you're just you're just you know yeah you're making your way in the universe and you know I wish that you know I'm sure at this point they've done a Duros the species that Cad Bane is and you know I I hope they would do a skin of it where you could just walk into the bar and be like oh I'm you know I'm looking for a new (laughs) job Ah." you know and 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 the people you know all the cutscenes that render out are Cad Bane among you know a bunch of 1800s cowboys I'm like oh man we got to do that absolutely last question I've got to ask you Drew. You know, lots of us creatives um, are diagnosed, undiagnosed with ADD, but but we know that process of how difficult it is 
to stay on like on direction on point i i start building a costume i hit my first snag and then i immediately think i i don't need to build this costume anymore oh totally how do you <laughs> and then like or or like in the mandalorian every week you're like i'm gonna build that costume and then the next episode comes and you're like i think that better fits me yeah the next episode yeah. i think i you know and then of course with the nuance of the clubs it's like well i'm gonna do season two episode two din's frostbitten armor when he lands on the you know fights yeah. the giants, I swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know it's just like you know you have all your options and i'm in michigan so of course i'm like ooh, frozen things yeah i'm interested yeah um, but but how do you you know, how do you stay stoked? How do you stay excited about, you know, and when we work in these creative professional environments, sometimes you get creative feedback that you might not personally uh, agree with and, and you work as a team. And sometimes, you know, like you said, you describe yourself as low in the totem pole, but obviously your career tra trajectory is going to go up. And, and how do you, how do you keep yourself excited for a industry that's known for being pretty tough and grueling, but also, you know, saying this will be an industry I want to stay in. Like, how do you get excited and definitely and move um, forward? Uh, I, I actually, I want to, I want to give two answers to this question. I want, I want to give one personal and one professional yes, because let's I, do I, it. I, I love it. And, and I, I address it to, in two different ways. Um, sure. so for professional, um, I, I stay stoked by always trying to one up myself. Um, I always mm. try because, you know, sometimes my job can be a little repetitive where it's like, oh, I'm making more straps. I'm designing more harnessing. I am doing mm -hmm. more Velcro. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I always try to make even that exceptional. And I sure. always try to go, okay, what would this character's straps look like? What, how, how would this be? Uh, like, Quick example, um, I worked a couple years ago on Martian Manhunter's costume from Supergirl. And oh, yeah, okay. On the on the straps on his like gauntlets and his greaves, there's like a leather pad behind them. And I it, it's something I had done before, but on Martian Manhunters, I made the patches asymmetrical and like, you know, one angle, you know, might've been like a 45 and on the other side, it was like a 65 because I was like, this is an alien. He might not go with right angles or perfect sure. 45s. <laughs> yeah, right. And so right. I try to make even those things interesting because I, I think variety is the flavor of life and I right. want right. to have fun doing that. And so, you know, in, in my professional job of, of harnessing and rigging armor and stuff like that, right. I try to make even that exceptional. And I'm always trying to push my own skills and limits. Um, sure. And, and, and then looking personal, I always, like you, I'm sure, like a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, you know, I, I have seven projects going at any given time, be it a yes. model kit be it my astromech droid being, you know, this costume or that costume. I have a lot of things, a lot of irons in the fire is the saying. But I do do something a little interesting. <laughs> oh, that's I'm, a I'm showing I'm showing <laughs> he goes model kit. I literally yeah. pull one out. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm cracking up because, yes, your point is absolutely 100 percent spot on. But So I, I have a lot of things going on. But I only work on what I want to work on. Um, yeah. And like, for example, 
I bought a new raw, you know, a resin cast Boba Fett helmet last year. It's like the most accurate thing that's ever existed. And yeah, lineage. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, dude, put that on the credit card. Woof. But so yes. I, I bought it. I haven't touched it because I just haven't been in the right headspace for it. And sure. I, I've, when I was younger, I would really try to like rush through things. I would get them and say, I have to finish this immediately. And now right. I go, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. I don't set yeah. any sort of kind of convention deadlines for myself anymore. Um, sure. If, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I feel like I put out my best work when I want to do something. And so sure. I don't do it unless I want to do it. <laughs> That's great advice. I think that people can often feel like there's an expectation of the clubs, you know, an event. An event works as, I think, a catalyst for a lot of people to use this motivation. Or I was rushing through this din job to try and get it done by Halloween because I knew that the second season was coming out and people were getting really excited. And Gotta there's ride a the lot hype of train. stuff because, man, for real. <laughs> and I was so learning how to do paint and i was i had never done a a a a paint job as extensive as you know i gotta sand it i gotta prime it i gotta put 2k down i gotta put the luma luster down i gotta steal 2k just all of that stuff and i'm in i'm in northern michigan and we had a on we had a somewhat unseasonably cold uh fall and so i'm sitting here watching people like you you're in california southern california and I'm going, well, how come these guys are painting helmets in a night? Like, how do they do that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, it's also like 80 degrees in direct sun yeah. versus, it's, yeah. you know, it's 40, it's 40 degrees here and it's overcast because it's been raining and it's like, oh, it takes two days for the primer to dry. Are you uh-huh. kidding? Yeah. Um, I'm like, I, I don't <laughs> have that time. Halloween is coming. But it's like you realize that patience and understanding that that goes. So I think that's great advice, man. That 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 is it's- spot on. Yeah, and you know, I I do think doubling back to um, uh, blah, 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 events being catalysts for wanting to get things done. There's nothing sure. wrong with that, you know. I've done that, and I do do that. But you know, I try not to let it run my life anymore. I try not yeah. to lose sleep over it. Um, and yeah, um, and and talking about your your cold paint. Um, when I was <laughs> I was trying to get ready for Celebration Chicago in 2019. I was working I was on. There. Oh wow, we were in the same room together at one point in time. Yes, yes, yes. We've already <laughs> probably met. I bet. <laughs> um, but I was trying. I was trying to get my uh, Tobias Beckett ready, and yeah. I lived in New Hampshire at the time, and it was it was winter. It was like February, and I'm trying to paint my I'm trying to paint my guns, and it's like five degrees outside, and so I'm like spraying my silver down and like okay i'm gonna give this 30 seconds to fume out and then bring it inside to dry and i was successful about 50 percent of the time and the other 50 percent, the paint would freeze and not yeah. work and so right. i can't tell you how many times i repainted those in like rapid succession yeah and yeah so i and- am i am totally blessed i am totally privileged to have this beautiful weather and this sunlight, but man, I know the struggle. <laughs> Good, and I can I, I can always tell people 
when I see when I go, well, there's a reason a lot of those prop shops are located where they're located. Or you do what Tim Harrison does and you know straight up like build the freaking booth inside with some heavy ventilation. So you can either go outside in the sun in Southern California, you can deal with the humidity in Florida, or you can come up to the northern half of the country and paint for four months out of the year. So pick your poison <laughs> is what I tell people. It's a good poison. I like my poison. That's, Thank you. <laughs> you say, I'll send stuff down to you. Um, so, Drew, let's go ahead and do a lightning round. This is pretty quick. I ask you a couple quick questions. You let me know, and then we'll wrap up here. I appreciate okay. your time. No problem. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, you've got one costume. I feel like I already know the answer to this. Right. One costume to wear yourself. Would you wear Din or would you wear Boba Fett? Boba Fett. You didn't even have to hesitate. I don't even know why I asked you that. That was a silly question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> let me ask let me ask you this as a professional in this. What Star Wars film had the best costumes, in your opinion? Ooh boy. Uh Star Wars episode two, Attack of the Clones. Oh, really? I was not expecting that. Is there a specific Perfect. thing that you're like, I absolutely love this? Padme's costumes are artistry all the way through and through. She's really featured heavily in that movie. Um, she puts sure. every costume in Star Wars to shame without like even flexing a muscle. Um, it's incredible. And I'm, 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 I might catch a little bit of slack for that answer. But um, no, I think that her costumes are just so magnificently um, royal and regal that they are just like, yes. get out of here, everything else. I absolutely love that answer. Would you rather wear? Hoth Han or Endor Han as oh, your costume? Hoth Han. Is the jacket brown or is it blue? Oh, I always forget this one. Uh, I think it's blue. Um, and I know, I think, so I know there's a technical answer, but it looks a color on screen. I would wear the on screen one, which I think is blue. Yes. Color grade. The color grade of it is, it was, or I believe it was originally blue. You're correct. And then I think it was made, it was graded to compensate for how blue Finn's Norway was. And I think that's why it shifted to look more brown. Um, and now I, I, I'm not sure. So by the time this goes to recording and live, I'm going to look it up after we're done. And I'm probably going to be crucified. <laughs> for this. But I want to say that I'm with you. I think it is blue, but I think it was yeah. looked brown on screen. I, I, Would I, you I, rather have, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think it's the other way around. I think it's blue on screen but it was a brown jacket. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Armor Party, this is going to be... I, well, I, if anything, people are just going to come come to the comments to hate on this, so I'm, I'm here for it. Drew, would you rather have a lightsaber at your side or a blaster? Oh, a blaster, for sure. Any specific one? Oh, um, definitely, definitely Han Solo's DL-44. I think that is just such an iconic and cool blaster and the noise it makes is amazing. Um, and yes, and that, that said, I'm kind of a blaster at my side. I'm definitely thinking like a pistol blaster. Um, because th that would be my choice. If it was a rifle, I would go Boba Fett's Empire Strikes Back, uh, EE3 carbine. Oh, the, the, the original Weebly flare gun. Yes. Yes, sir. That's right, Drew. Come on, man. I'm here for it. You know, I'm all about those details. Love it. You are allowed to pick one costume, not Boba Fett, any character from Star Wars to wear to a convention. What would it be? Uh, Obi-Wan, Revenge of the Sith. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm into it. Is there a reason that you're like, I just, I dig that costume specifically? Hello there. 
that's it. I just want to do that a whole bunch. I think after the series too, there's gonna that's just the way that we just greet each other. It's like the the ultimate proving ground, right? You know, out there, if you go up there and you're like getting back into the dating pool, and you say hello there, and if someone doesn't answer with General Kenobi, you know that they're not the person for you. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Swipe left. I'm out. All right. You get to pilot one ship from Star Wars. What's your pick, Drew? Oh boy. Uh, you know, I say a B wing. I say a B-Wing. I think a lot of people are going to think I was going to say the Slave 1, um, which I love the Slave 1. I think the Slave 1 is really yep. cool. And a Slave 1, like, I, I would never turn down that opportunity. But I need to know how a B-Wing flies. I need to. It's really confusing to me. It's really, like, weirdly shaped. I got to figure that out. You also have to look at it as, like, a, you know, like, because I, I live on Lake Superior, and we have these giant freighters that come in, right? And it's almost like you look at, like, the the captain's room the end you know the the i don't know i guess technical term right where the captain is is at the front of it and then you've got like 180 feet behind you of just butt yeah if like the the b-wing you know the like the the cockpit is like on the opposite side of pretty much every other part of that ship so like what does that feel like to know like yeah i don't know if i i don't know if i clear this i don't know if i can fly into this hangar here yeah exactly what's the vertical clearance on this asteroid (laughs) Um, right, I imagine right, right. I imagine it's kind of like, you know, people like lightsabers. The you know, number one thing that would happen would be immediate accidental dismemberment. And it's like, yeah. I feel like that's how it'd be like to fly a B-Wing where it's like you get it off the ground and you're like, whoa, whoa, oh, and I crashed into something. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, there is a very steep learning curve on a B-Wing. That's why the that's why the rebellion only has like six of them, right? That Huge. they all got destroyed. Yeah, yeah those exactly. guys have, those, those guys are like forklift operators. <laughs> that's right just check your head make sure you're good and then if you crash it you crash it whatever exactly Um, well drew that's 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 awesome man i i want to say thank you so much for for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us and sharing some behind the scenes with us because this podcast was created to highlight the talents that exist in this industry uh for people like yourself and i i love that people in this industry can work on something that's so easily identifiable. The fact that we know exactly what what specific parts of what specific character we're talking about. You guys deserve so much praise and so much credit. And I just have to say thank you and for sharing your talents with us. And being a part of this community, it's so cool to see people who are a part of this community that are also fans and they contribute with their own passions and they're a part of it. So I want to say thank you. And uh, yeah, where can where can we find you, Drew? Where can we find you on social media? Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you could find me on Instagram. I'm Drew the Costumer. It's real simple. I'm gonna have that name forever. I'm kind of trying to build a legacy around it. So, like, you know, I, I love it, it. It's never gonna change. Uh, even when I'm a costume designer, I'll still be Drew the Costumer. Um, that but works. Yeah, you could find me there. That's the only thing I do. I love it. Is there? <laughs> any, do you have any 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 um, projects uh, coming up that you're excited about that you're allowed to tell us or anything like that? Is there you know or what what could we be looking for in the future as people follow along with you? How do I not get you? How do I not get in trouble and get people <laughs> to follow along with your career? How do I do this? <laughs> you can't. That's that's the great yes, thing yeah. is that I can't talk about any of it. Um, just okay. stay tuned. There's so much cool stuff. I I I with without sounding like a total just uh, a jerk. Um, sure. I, I do a lot of cool things. Uh, stay tuned. You'll see them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and, and hopefully many, many, many more for selfish reasons, Drew, 
selfish reasons. I hope <laughs> many more Star Wars projects come out that we get to see your handiwork on. So, Drew, thank you so much for joining us on Armor Party. Check out Drew at Drew the Customer on Instagram. He's super active on there. Uh, thank you for being a part of the show. Drew, any last words for us? May the force be with you. Disintegration. As you wish. Put Captain Solo in the cargo hold because that is a wrap on Armor Party Episode 5. How cool was that to learn about the industry and what it takes to work your way up the ladder? I'm buying a sewing machine as soon as I close this podcast. I'm inspired. I am your host, Mike Forrester. Thank you for listening to Armor Party. We are a part of the Thank the Maker Network. Our sister station covers all things in the latest and greatest of Star Wars, so please do give Thank the Maker a follow on Instagram, iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts. We're going to be rolling out some exclusive merch for Thank the Maker patron members, so make sure you give them a follow. There is plenty more on the way. Our incredible intro and outro was done by the talented Alton James, and if you're looking for a composer for your short films, your Star Wars fan films, anything along those lines, he's your guy. Find him on Instagram at Alton underscore James. We'll see you in two weeks. And always remember, being an adult is boring, but wearing and building armor is anything but. Proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> <laughs>